Phenomenal Woman Many people wonder where my secret lies. I'm not cute or built to suit a fashion model size. When I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. I say, it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride of my step, the curl of my lips. I'm a woman, phenomenally. On the occasion of her visit to the American Academy in Berlin, Stanford University historian Marilyn Yalom sat down with Academy Fellow Brenda Stevenson, herself an historian from UCLA. Hello, I'm Marilyn Yalom. I'm a senior scholar at the Michelle Clayman Institute for Gender Research at Stanford University. And before that, I was a professor of French. Mm -hmm. uh, I think of my books as cultural history that deal primarily with women and gender issues. Hello, my name is Brenda Stevenson, and I'm a professor of history and African American studies at UCLA. And my work broadly speaks to issues of gender, but as well race, um, racial conflict, and family from the colonial period through the 20th century um, in the United States, as well as within the Atlantic world. Their topic was simple, women. But like many issues, historical and modern-day challenges are anything but easy. Looking at the colonial period in the United States, there is a recognition of the importance of women. I mean, first of all, if you start in colonial Virginia, which is established in 1607, uh, one of the things that people realized right away was that they were going to have to import women. That is, most of the people who came over were males, um, whether you're looking at the original settlers or you're looking at the indentured servants. Um, and so, you know, when I was in the fourth grade in Virginia growing up, the 1619 was the red letter year. And one of the reasons, one of the three reasons espoused as this is the red letter year was because one hundred women were imported um, into, you know, the colony. And, um, and so almost from the very beginning of the founding of the nation, of our nation, by the British um, women and the role of women have been you know, looked at as being very, very important now. Women, of course, had nothing close to equality within the society. There was some power that was had from the small numbers. But I, was, I found it you know, always very interesting, the necessity for women that's been recognized by men, even while they were definitely a part of and oppressed by a patriarchal society. And then from that going on, of course, um, into just being on the frontier, and women are always important on the frontier society, and you see that the frontier also allows for women to have more than just traditional roles as wife or mother. But we find whether we're looking at the southern frontier or the western frontier mm -hmm. or the plains, that women are there and they're having these kinds of roles as, you know, um, newspaper um, publishers and as storekeepers and as people who own boarding houses and all these kinds of, you know, places where women are found in the economy that you don't find really in more traditionally settled communities in the United States, at least in the early period. Because again, you need bodies, you need intellect. And at these moments of sort of population crises, men are willing to to say, yes, well, the woman can do it then. We don't have a man to do it. So I've always found it interesting that women 
come into a frontier society and really are so important in the settlement of that society. And they find these unique and sometimes powerful and agency-driven um, positions within the society. Later on, as it becomes more settled, we see patriarchy then has more impact. But women themselves don't lose the sense of their importance, no matter how much men try to suggest um, otherwise. And at the end of the day, um, men know, even if quietly, the importance of women um, in their society too. So that's what I like about looking at the colonial period and the period of um, you know, the evolution of our nation. My background, of course, is uh, primarily European. Mm -hmm. So it's always a discovery for me to know more about American history, and I should know a great deal more about American history since I was born in the United States and grew up there. But I really got to know more about America when I did a book on American cemeteries. And my son, who's a photographer, uh, moved me all around from the northern states into the southern states and into the Midwest and into the West and as far as Hawaii. So um, I got to discover 400 years of American history through its cemeteries. Wow. And that was fascinating to me because they start out uh, in New England um, where you see the difference, of course, between the way men are buried and the way women are buried. Uh, the man's name is always given. Uh, the woman's wife is sometimes simply his wife mm -hmm. and or daughter of so-and-so. Um, and of course, when it comes to slaves, you rarely find a stone, though we did find uh, some in Rhode Island um, and even of a little girl whose owner uh, buried her and get, put up a tombstone for her. My son did a fabulous photo of that particular tombstone. For the most part, you get to understand that women were secondary citizens, even in the graveyard. Mm -hmm. I think I got into a greater understanding of American history when I was doing this last book, on the social sex on women. And I read the letters between Abigail Adams and her friend Mercy, both well-known women, wives of patriots, and they wrote each other constantly. And it was quite interesting to see how these women saw themselves as contributing to the patriotic movement and the revolution, mm -hmm. although they were not themselves public figures. Uh, they thought of themselves as the behind the scenes persons who were changing society through their conversations, mm -hmm. through their letters, through their the pressure they put on their husbands. Of course, everyone knows the famous letter between Abigail Adams and her husband when he was at the founding convention remember the ladies, which he didn't take very seriously. <laughs> uh, so that was one way, this book on the friendly sex or the social sex, which is what we ended up calling it, uh, beginning to understand how women as friends and as groups of friends ended up influencing American history. Mm -hmm. 
There's a chapter in our book called Quilt Prey Club. Uh, it was a title given by my younger co-author who came on the project after I had been into it for a while, and she really helped me with the more contemporary moments of history. And she pointed out very much that these groups of women who got together to quilt, who got together to provide food at the, the after Sunday church, who were part of the reform and the progressive movement, uh, the abolitionist movement. They weren't all progressives, but a good number of them were. The self-education movement of the 19th century, which then led into the women's colleges and the new woman, that they were absolutely fundamental to the creation of the country and to the mentality that understood women's rights at an early age, even if they weren't put into law. Mm -hmm. In terms of death, certainly women are remembered as sort of second-class citizens, as appendages to mm -hmm. men, whether as daughters or as property or as wives. You know, um, it's very interesting to talk about what happens during the American Revolution because, indeed, women um, have been important in crafting the moral fiber of the mm -hmm. nation, um, both in the American Revolution, as supporters of revolution, um, as supporters of the men who are visibly supporting revolution, um, but it's also, of course, taking care of the homes and the farms and the businesses while men are away, either crafting our founding documents or fighting um, in the battles that defined um, America or that defined the United States. And women um, in the 19th century, of course, are really at the leadership positions um, in the moral reforms mm -hmm. that take place, you know, whether we're talking about abolition or the women's movement or the temperance movement um, or the movement to establish public schools or libraries and orphanages and all of these things. And the wonderful thing about looking at women during that period, particularly women in the um, the Midwest and particularly the Northeast, though, um, is that they cross all those boundaries. That is, that there is not one reform that they take on. They kind of are involved in almost every reform to make America better, um, to really le lend itself to the ideas of the American Revolution at that time. And, of course, they're very involved with the first labor strikes that take place mm -hmm. in New England as well. And, and so in the South, you see women are involved much more they're important much more in terms of slave women as being producers of wealth um, for our nation, I think is mm. important. And of course, they're thought of really as bodies. They're not really thought of as um, someone with emotion, someone with intellect. Um, and so uh, in this capacity as producers of uh, wealth through the production of cotton, um, as well as the producers of children who will become mm -hmm. slaves. They themselves are very important just in the economic growth, development, and stability um, of the nation um, at, th at this time, too. So I find that women's place in our society is really 
a miraculous one mm-hmm. because we it cannot be denied that women have such important roles and they realize it and so they do communicate they have a deep appreciation for other women um, that we see in their friendships in their organizations in their letters to each other mm-hmm. uh, in their sharing of labor together um, and so I'm always learning more and more about you know both the the beauty of those relationships and the difficulties mm-hmm. of having those kinds of relationships in what is deeply a patriarchal society for until now, mm. <laughs> I guess, you know. Mm. And so, but I do think overall women have gained in our society, um, and it's been a matter of the evolution of the society just becoming more equitable. But we also have to look to worldwide that women still are the most enslaved people in the world. Oh, yeah. And so, um, and in many societies, women are really below what we would even consider second-class citizens um, as daughters, as wives. Um, you know, we have to look at, of course, we still have much physical abuse of women. Women don't have, you know, there's a gap in the income that women of comparable skill and education now face in our society. But there certainly have been some strides. I mean, we have the first female, really, candidate looks like may make it to the ticket and have a chance of winning the presidency of the United States. We have many world leaders, we're in Germany, Merkel, Mm. for example. Um, You know, this would have been unthought of two generations or three generations ago. So we see both progress and we still see ourselves hanging on to some of the oppressive attributes of living basically in a patriarchal world. Mm Yes, what we take for granted mm-hmm. in the United States and in the West is still only a very small part of the world. When I wrote uh, this book on women as friends, mm-hmm. uh, we take it for granted that we can choose our friends. Oh, maybe our parents push us in a little direction. Right. And maybe when you marry, it's if you marry, uh, friendships take a back seat for a while mm-hmm. while you have children. But if you have the possibility of having girlfriends, you often take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Whereas there are parts, great parts of the world where women can't choose to have friends, female friends, where they're expected to remain within the family role. Mm-hmm. And as in the time of the Greeks and Romans, Romans gave them a little more freedom. They were expected to take the friends that their husbands chose for them. So, you know, I take none of this for granted anymore. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that it's still hard to cross the boundaries of class Mm -hmm. and of race. Yes. And in some places, religion. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, Religion in my generation, I was born in 1932, so I could be either mother or grandmother to others. Religion was something of a barrier. Uh, I was lucky enough to grow up in a neighborhood where there were children from different religions and different backgrounds, so it wasn't a big issue for me. But being Jewish would have been a big issue for many other people in the United States. Well, it's not that big a deal anymore. Mm -hmm. But the boundary of race is still an issue. There, there are 
parts of the United States where it's still unusual to see white and black women together or white and black women and men together. Mm -hmm. So there's religion, there's race, and then there's class. Yes, definitely. And we talked a lot about this when we were doing the book on friendship. You know, how many real friends do you have who are not of your same educational level? More or less. Right. It's tough. Mm -hmm. And education, I think, has become more crucial in forming friendships, even than money. Mm-hmm. Because money comes and goes. But you acquire a certain educational level and you have the same references. So these are still real real issues for us in the United States and in other countries that are not even real issues because the other issues are so much greater. True. I mean, women who are not free the way we are to move about in mm-hmm. a co-ed world. Right, definitely. And still we rise, as, as Maya <laughs> Angelou rise. says. I love that song. So, as Maya Angelou says. So, um, mm. yeah, I mean, the one thing I think it's great about um, focusing on women as a historian is that um, there are always narratives that make you smile and make you hopeful. Mm-hmm. Because women have conquered so many of the oppressive elements in our history. And knowing that long history, mm-hmm. um, as you write about Marilyn, lets us understand that while the work is not finished, mm-hmm. you know, there is hope uh, for the future. Could some of that hope for the future be realized by a female president of the United States? The two discuss the very real possibility of Hillary Clinton becoming the next U.S. president. Well, we're at a moment where we could be moving more in the direction, in a direction favorable to women or not. Uh, Certainly, I think Trump and his associates, such as they are, uh, would bring us backwards as women. Um, his vision of women as quiet, beautiful sex objects is something that many of us thought was passe, but it's definitely not if he, in fact, becomes the presidential candidate and, God forbid, the president of the United States. Um, I do think that uh, a woman president, and particularly Hillary Clinton, is someone who has aligned herself with women's issues. Uh, And whether it is women's rights throughout the world in voting and in having the same rights as men and in having reproductive rights, she's been out there as a spokesperson for us, women, and I include myself in that group, and I think I would say most American women. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we will go in the direction where women will have more equal pay with men than they have up until now. My hope is that we will see such things as paid parental leave, which usually means paid maternal leave, 
and that we will have the kinds of opportunities for women that will make their lives conform to the hopes of the new woman of 1900, <laughs> the granddaughter of Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who said, we're going to be able to have both families and careers. We're still working at it. Yes, we are. Well, I certainly hope that, um, I have to say that I have certainly um, hope that Hillary Clinton becomes our new president. I'm appalled by the fact that we have and we have not had a female president, and you know it's not it's, that's not the women's card. Uh, that's just saying that as equal numbers of people who have given equally to our society, it just uh, it's amazing to me that a woman has not advanced this far yet. And I think Hillary certainly is very experienced, and she's very well educated, and she certainly knows how to run this nation. Um, and I hope that she will have the opportunity to do so. I also, though, am hopeful that women in the West who do have more privileges and do have more wealth um, and more opportunity will look around the world and embrace women um, who don't have those opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hoping that in the United States that something can be done about the large numbers of women who are incarcerated. Uh, we have the largest female prison population in the world. Um, and I'm hoping something that can be done about that. I'm hoping that women can finally be, and children can be pulled out of the slave trade. I'm hoping that women will be able to vote in places where they cannot and be mm -hmm. educated where they cannot be. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, we as women in the West who who have so much can reach out to others, but also learn from others. You know, understand that because you cannot vote in some places, that because you um, are so financially oppressed in other places, to understand that these people still have lessons um, that we can, uh, of survival, of incredible ingenuity, and of, um, you know, being able to care for their loved ones and their children, even against all odds. And mm -hmm. so I'm just hoping that we have a greater respect um, and interest in women, with both within the nation, who are on the very, very, very margins of our society mm -hmm. um, and throughout the world. Let's keep fighting for freedom and equality. Let's keep fighting for full participation. And let's keep telling the world over and over again that, yes, women's rights are human rights, and human rights are women's rights once and for all. Thank you all so much. In America, Marilyn Yalom and Brenda Stevenson identified the biggest challenges facing modern women, and thusly, American society. I must say that living in Silicon Valley, the issues for women are different, perhaps, than the issues for women in other parts of the country. Uh, it's not uncommon at all now to see a woman who is earning more than her husband and who is the primary breadwinner in the family. Um, it doesn't make it any easier on her if she decides to have children. And it seems to me that that is where one of our major problems lies. Uh, the disparity between income the income of women and men is not so great if you subtract the salaries of mothers. 
The real disparity in male-female incomes is for mothers. They're the ones who are, and their children, who are suffering uh, because if they take time out, uh, they very often lose their jobs or uh, they sink into poverty. Uh, so I think that one of the first things that should be done if we were to be similar to other developed countries would be to have some kind of paid parental leave. I believe that the issues for women today, as mothers, that's where the problems lie. If a woman and a man are together, or if two women are together, and each one has a job, you usually can work things out, even if you're not in the same city. Uh, once you have children, the situation becomes complicated, and uh, we haven't even begun to address those issues. Uh, although some of, I say, Silicon Valley companies are addressing them with two and three and even up to four months of leave uh, for sickness and for parental care. It, it, it's that work-family situation that produces the guilt. Uh, I think we're already seeing the tail end, that's how I see it, of the generation of mothers who gave everything to their children and sometimes at the expense of the partner. After all, we are at a stage where 50% um, at least of marriages are ending in divorce. Many people are not marrying or they're marrying later. And we have to look to other models. The French model is different from the American model. The French model has always put more value on the couple. And that marvelous book by Elisabeth Badinter a few years back called Le Conflit, The Conflict, hits that problem right on the head. Wasn't very well reviewed in the United States because as in the title of a book, another book that was written many years ago, in the United States we have a tradition of strong mothers, weak wives. Uh, I think we have to rethink that along with so many other things. Well, I think that um, you're absolutely right. I mean, our society has changed tremendously with regard to the amount of support that families get, that women get. Um, I mean, we no longer live in a society where most people live in nuclear, where most children live in nuclear families. Um, and so um, many young people are not getting married. The divorce rate is very high. And so, on the one hand, you can't say women cannot pursue a career. And on the other hand, say, you know, it's okay not to get married, it's okay to get divorced and all of that, because women can't afford, in raising their children, not to have a career. Um, if they're mm -hmm. going to end up alone, if they're not, they're, they're, right. the, the husband, the father is not going to, uh, you know, give money to the support of the children, as we see happening more and more. Um, if indeed most um, many marriages are going to end in divorce, mm -hmm. which really uh, is a spiral downward, usually for the woman. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these kinds of things don't really connect in a way that provides a kind of social support network mm -hmm. for women having 
not having careers. Women have to have careers if children are to survive um, and do well within our society. I think that's really important to understand. And it's important to understand that this is a problem that is both shared across racial lines, but is mm -hmm. also exaggerated among some groups yeah. um, and misunderstood among some groups. I mean, some groups of people, women working has always been what women had to do. It wasn't an option, you know. And if we look at our long history of immigrant groups, most immigrant women worked to a certain extent. You know, even if we look at the early 19th century when women are really, the industrialized, the industrialized world is just coming to be, young women, you know, work before they're married and then afterwards they don't work so much. But if there's a financial crisis, women have had to go across time and place and history into the workforce. And so I think people need to understand that this juggling that women have to do now um, is something that's not new. Mm -hmm. It's something that almost every generation, except for this, I guess we have a, a sense of the, the 50s generation where women really didn't have to work, women really didn't have to work, but that was only middle class mm -hmm. and upper class women. Women were mm -hmm. always working, mm -hmm. you know, um, and so we need to understand that this is something that's happened across time and place, and we need to have support networks for that mm -hmm. um, happening. It's, a, it's very difficult to balance everything. And I know I'm here, I'm really blessed to be at the American Academy in Berlin this, this semester. I did not apply for a fellowship outside of Los Angeles for 20 years mm -hmm. while I raised my daughter. Mm -hmm. I just could not. My husband worked in Irvine. I live in Los Angeles. It was a 50-mile commute around, mm -hmm. around the trips. Mm -hmm. He left 7 in the morning, came back 7 at night. I just couldn't leave my daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and he didn't encourage me to do that. He, you, know, he, you know, So I knew that I would have to stay put um, until she was well settled into mm -hmm. college, mm -hmm. which I did do. Um, and so this is a, and I thought at some point in the middle of my career that it was just collapse. <laughs> you know, as I saw all these, you know, other women who were older than me or who weren't married, didn't have children, go off and do these, have these wonderful fellowships and research opportunities and things like that. Uh, and I saw all the men around me doing it as well. And so um, it is very hard to juggle that. Um, and if in the middle of all of this, my husband and I had divorced, I still wouldn't be here. You know, I would, um, you know, because I would be struggling more um, to do it. And so we have to understand that our society is not a place where women cannot have a career for the most part. That is absolutely correct. You know, um, if we want families to survive, mm -hmm. if we want children to survive, women have to work um, and they have to provide income and financial stability. That's where we are as a society. So our society should get on board and support, you know, that reality. Well, we do have about 60% uh, of women who work full-time mm -hmm. throughout their lives, another <coughs> 30 who work part-time mm -hmm. after children, right? or sometimes before Four. going back in the workforce, and only about 10% of women who have the luxury not to work at right. all. Yeah. Um, so it, we have a society of working women. The expectation is that women will work. 
And the difference between my generation is that women continue to work even when their children are small. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the past, when your children were small, you'd pull out of the workforce. Right. So how we deal with that, mm-hmm. whether it's um, paid help or whether it's grandmothers who pitch in or whether it's preschools, I mean, we, we haven't even begun to address those issues on a national mm-hmm. level. We are addressing them uh, in, on the local level. But I've, I keep saying I think it's one of the major issues that we're going to have to deal with if we're going to move ahead in the 21st century. I walk into a room just as cool as you please, and to a man the fellows stand or fall down on their knees. Then they swarm around me, a hive of honeybees. I say, it's the fire in my eyes, the flash of my teeth, the swing in my waist, the joy in my feet. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Men themselves have wondered what they see in me. They try so much, but they can't touch my inner mystery. When I try to show them, they say they still can't see. I say, it's in the arch of my back, the sun of my smile, the ride of my breasts, the grace of my style. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Now you understand just why my head's not bowed. I don't shout or jump about or have to talk real loud. When you see me passing, it ought to make you proud. I say it's in the click of my heels, the bend of my hair, the palms of my hands, the need for my care. Because I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman. That's my mother and all your mothers and my grandmothers and your grandmothers, and my great-grandmothers, and your greats, and my great-greats, and your and all you women, and me. <laughs> <laughs>